with this builder, with this contractor, whatever, and, and you say to him as you sit down, well, can you, can you show me a picture of what the house will look like? And he kind of looks at you, you know, with a strange look on his face, a little dumbfounded, or, or she does, whoever the contractor is, and, and they say, well, why do you need a picture? Well, I just want to see what the, I want to see what the house is going to look like when, when you're done. I mean, we're really excited and we, we see the land and you've given us the cost. Okay, we get that. But, but what's it going to look like? Can you show us a picture or, or a floor plan or, or anything? If the builder at that point said, you know, I, I really don't know what it's going to look like. Well, we'll kind of figure it out as we go along. You would hesitate. You would be a little bit cautious, like, is this somebody that I want to work with? I want you to know something today as we, as we start into a, a quick study of part of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation represents for us a, a picture of what God is going to do. It is a glimpse at God's grand plan. It's, it's an opportunity for us to see what it is that the Lord is going to do on heaven, in the heavens and on the earth. What his, what his plan is for us, for his creation. The book of Revelation offers us a glimpse into that. And I'm pretty excited today to start into a study. Now, we're not going to cover all of the book of Revelation over the next couple of months together. But we are going to start into part of it together. We're going to study together, um, not the parts that deal so much with the long-term future aspects, but some of the things that challenge us in what we're living for today. Together, we're going to study, over the next few months, we're going to study chapters 1 through 5 of the book of Revelation. And, and I, want to, I want to encourage you to join with us in this study. Some of you, I know, um, have been reading through the book of Revelation over the last few months. You talked to me about it. You were doing that to prepare, really, for this sermon. You didn't know it when I gave out that call to, hey, read the, Revel- read the book of Revelation. You didn't know what we were going to do, but, but I did that, really, as a, as a prompt for myself to read through this book over and over and over again, planning for the time when we would do this study together. Now, what I'm going to do today is, is probably a little more aggressive than what might be called wise, because my plan today is to cover chapters 1 through 22, okay? That's my plan for today. I mean, it's a pretty simple task, right? And I've got like 35 minutes to do it, so it shouldn't be a problem. I've got five main points, and I really didn't know what I was going to say for each one of those things. So, so my plan is, is kind of unique for us today. What I'm doing right now is I'm setting the timer for myself. I want to be done in 35 minutes. And so I take 35 and I divide that by five and I get seven minutes per point. So at the end of the seven minutes, I expect that my alarm is going to go off and tell me that I got to go on to the next point. All right. So if we don't get as far as I wanted to go or as far as you wanted to go, that's just the way it is. I can do seven minutes on each one of these topics about the book of Revelation. You want to come with me? For the first seven-minute block, join me. The first seven-minute block is, what is the meaning of the Revelation? Now, if you look at your Bible, if if you're in the book of Revelation, if you look at the very first page, the title is The Revelation of John. 
Now, in Greek, it's actually called the Apocalypse of John. We hear the word apocalypse, and it's a little bit scary. We picture, you know, nuclear war. We picture destruction on the earth. Utopia, or I'm sorry, dystopian type of literature where, where everything lies in shambles and, and we don't know how we're going to survive and, and how are we ever going to get through this. And we call that, refer to that maybe as an apocalyptic, apocalyptical literature. It's, it's, it's a writing or a, or a story or a narrative about, quote, the end of the earth. Well, I want you to know something today. That is not what the word apocalypse means. The word apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. It doesn't mean everything coming to an end or, or how are we ever going to make it. That's not what it means. The word apocalypse literally means revelation. It means unveiling. It means a disclosure. It means pulling back the curtains so that we can see clearly. Did you hear what I just said? This book of Revelation is meant to pull back the curtains so we can see clearly. It means to unveil. It means to, re- it, it means to remove the confusion. So what's wrong with us? Why? Why is it that we, when, when we read the book of Revelation, we hear somebody talk about the book of Revelation, we instantly go to this like mysterious like land of, you know, beast and creatures and 666 and Armageddon and all these things that kind of scare teenagers and, and make adults think, I don't want to hear this. And, and we just drive on by it and, and not even have any concern for it. This is the exact opposite intent of God. God's intent for us was to understand what it is that he's doing. Look with me at Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1. Look what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. In this very first verse, we have really the purpose statement of this book. The unveiling, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the the revealing of God's plan, the disclosure which God gave to Jesus. God gave to Jesus this plan for all of the world, for all of the creation. And then Jesus revealed it now to us. His servants, God gave to Jesus to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the purpose of the book of Revelation. It is to reveal what God's plan is. Now, I I need you to stay with me for the next three months. Because if you're expecting me to stand up here and show you fancy charts with scary pictures and, and, and all these kind of like, ooh, eerie things. That's not what God is trying to reveal. God is not trying to reveal for us exactly what's going to happen in the future. What God is trying to get us to understand is what is the purpose of our existence? And what is He doing on earth. 
Now, there's a term for this, and maybe you've heard it before. The term is eschatology. Who's heard that word sometime in your life? Eschatology. Okay. Now, here's what eschatology is, and this definition is important. As a matter of fact, Pastor Billy and I did a podcast on this last April. It's podcast number 117. You'll get an email. You'll get that in an email this week pointing to this podcast. I want to tell you what eschatology is. It is the study of the completion of God's plan. It's a study of the completion of God's plan. You see, God created the earth with a plan. God created you with a plan. We read about it in Genesis chapter 1, where God places man and woman on the earth and gives them a directive of what they are to do. But man messes it up. And now what eschatology is and what the book of Revelation is, is it's God revealing to us how he's going to finish that plan. What it is that he's going to do. So let's, let's look at the end, okay? Go to Revelation chapter 21. Turn with me. You're going to go all over the book of Revelation today. Go to Revelation chapter 21 and look with me at verse number 1. Revelation 21, verse 1. Now we know the author is the Apostle John. He identifies himself three different times through this book. Arguably the best friend of Jesus. And it's him that God revealed his plan for completing what God intended on the world. And in all of creation. And look at verse number 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, now listen to this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Folks, that's a picture of the finished product. This is what God is intending for us. This is what God is doing. God's plan was for man to have relationship with him. And that we would be with Him and have, have close fellowship with Him. And we see here that at the end, this is what God is going to bring about. So the question is, how? And I just ran out of time. So let's go to point number two. The significance of Revelation. The significance of Revelation. Seven minutes. When I realized this is the last of the inspired books of the New Testament. I mean, think about this. The first of the inspired books are the Gospels, where Jesus is introduced to us and he enters into the world. He's incarnated. He becomes a man. But now in the last of the inspired books, is it about Jesus coming again? The fulfilling his plan here on earth for finishing his work. When Jesus passed from life to death before he was resurrected, remember his last words? One of the last phrases that Jesus used from the cross is, it is finished. 
right? But is it finished? Is all finished? What was Jesus speaking to there? What was finished? What was finished was the redemption of man. What was finished is forgiveness is offered. But God's plan had not been completed yet. His full plan for the creation had not been done. And that is significance of revelation. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1. Go back to the beginning now. We're going to go back and forth, back and forth all, all morning, okay? Go to Revelation 1 again. It's interesting that, that the book of Revelation is one of the only books I know of. It, I, I actually want to say that it is the only one, but I'm afraid you might come and correct me. It's the only book of the Bible that I'm aware of that issues a blessing if we read it and live it, and a curse if we don't. Look at Revelation 1. We read verse, one, verse number 1. Let's pick up there where we left off. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. There's a blessing for us if we just simply read this book and it says, if not if we read it, but also if we keep what is written in it. So that tells me this is a significant book. One that we are to read and to understand and to acknowledge its role in our lives. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the very end, go to Revelation 22. Go ahead, go ahead and turn there. I'll wait for you. Revelation 22. Look what it says in verse number 18 and 19. So we know there's a blessing for those who read it and who live it. But in Revelation 22, verse number 18, there's a curse. Revelation 22, 18. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues of this pro- described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. There's a warning for us. There's a blessing if we read it and respond to what we encounter here. And there's a warning of cursing for us if we add to or take away. It's important for us to understand what God is communicating. Now let me just be clear. There are going to be things that you're going to encounter in the book of Revelation that you're not going to understand what they mean. Me neither. Me neither. But there are plenty of things that we can clearly understand what God is calling us to. I want to give you an example of one of those. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Go to Revelation chapter 12. See, I want to give you just a, I I really desire to give you a sense of this book because I want you to read it. I want you to, 
You're blessed if you read this and respond to it. So I wish blessing upon us. So let's read Revelation 12, and, and not the whole thing, but, but I want to start in at verse number 7. And the reason why I want to read this is I want to show you how some things we don't understand what this means. But some things are clearly understood. Revelation 12, verse number 7. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Okay, can we just stop there for just a minute? What is going on here? There's a war in heaven, and there's, a, there's the angel Michael, and he's fighting against a dragon? Now, this is an example of literature that we don't encounter much, but in the first century was very, very popular. Apocalyptical literature. And you have to put yourself in that world. They don't have television. They don't have the internet. They don't have images that you and I can easily see. You realize that, that in the click of a button, we can see more than the vast majority of the population of human beings who have ever existed. So what apocalyptical literature does is it brings, it uses, it uses pictures and metaphors and symbols to shock the reader. The intention is for you to be like, what? A war in heaven? So not all of what you read is, I'm not sure that Michael is in heaven, you know, battling with a big sword against a dragon. I don't think that's what the writer is intending for us to understand. But the picture of what he's drawing represents a literal truth. Not every image that we're going to see in the book of Revelation I mean, I don't believe that, that there is a, a, this creature with seven heads and all these sort of like crowns on top of this head crawling out of the sea. But what those pictures represent are, they represent literal true things. Like for instance here, we need to recognize there is a battle between God and forces that oppose him. Is it a dragon? Is, are there swords, spears, guns? I don't think so, but there is a battle. But read on. Look what it says. And the dragon and his angels fought back, and, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the dra- great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Will there be a day where man will see this? I can't answer that with any authority. But read on what it says. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of this Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Now listen to this next verse. And be encouraged by it. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. I don't have to understand what this dragon is. And what this Michael figure is. And what this battle is. To know 
that God is championing these followers of his because they love, look at verse number 11, they love not their lives. They love Christ. This is the purpose of the book of Revelation. It's to, it's to show us that no matter what comes, because there is coming a time on the earth that is unlike any other. That is true. But no matter what comes, God's people love Him and love His mission and love who He is and love His people more than their own lives. That's the significance. And I just went a minute and a half over. Let's talk about the outline of the book of Revelation. The outline. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse number 17. Revelation 1, verse number 17. I was talking with another guy who was reading the book of Revelation. He and a few others have been reading through several chapters of this over and over. And he pointed something out to him at verse number 17 that, that really struck me. Remember, it's John that's writing this, Jesus' best friend, who spent at least three years with him. He knows him well. In verse number 17, John writes, When I saw him, Jesus, who appeared to John, I fell at his feet as though dead. And this gentleman was telling me, you know, here we have the Apostle John, the good friend of Jesus. I mean, nobody knows him better, right? But when he sees him in all of his resurrected glory, he falls on his face as though dead. Listen, one day, every single human is going to meet Jesus face to face. And when we see him in all of his splendor and all of his glory, we're going to fall down in worship. Now in this, in this very verse, we, we see God's outline for the book of Revelation. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he had his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I, di- I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Verse number 19. Write therefore, now this is a very important verse. Verse number 19 is essential in understanding the book of Revelation. He says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. The book of Revelation comes with it a a very clear outline for how the book is going to be laid out. John is very clear with how he's going to sort of communicate this message as God's Spirit has has called him to do so. He says, first of all, write the things that you have seen, those that are. He's to write these things right now that are at place. And this is chapter 1 of Book of Revelation. These are the things that are. And then he said, the things that he has seen, that is. And then he says, write the things that are. Now, the things that are, this is chapters 2 through 3. 
This is, this is what John is going to do. So in Revelation chapter 1, John shares what he's seen. I saw Jesus, and I fell at his feet. And then in chapters 2 and 3, he's going to describe the things that are. And what's going to happen here, go to my next slide for me, is he's going to walk through these seven different churches, this message to the churches. And if you, if you see these on a map, next slide, if you see these on a map, you can lay these out very, very clearly in this region that we now know as Turkey. But in that time, that's not what they referred to it as. But, but you can see where it is there just above the Mediterranean Sea. And these seven churches, next slide, it's very interesting what these are. Seven different churches that are described in Revelation 2 and 3. And what's interesting about these different churches is they're simply the, the, the traveling um, sort of Pony Express of the day. This was the mail circuit of the day. The Roman mail system went from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamos to Thyatira to Sardis to Philadelphia to Laodicea. And these are seven prominent churches in John's day. And what he's going to do in chapters 2 and 3 is he's going to challenge each of them for how they are to live for Christ. And this is the part that I want us to experience. I want us together to experience John's words as Jesus inspired him to these seven churches. Because the warnings that God gives to them apply to us today. Let me give you an example. Go to Revelation 2, verse number 5. Revelation 2. You'll see in verse number 1 that this is Jesus' words to the church in Ephesus. So this is the first stop, okay? This is the first stop. John is on the island of Patmos, okay? That's a mining island. He's sentenced to go there by the emperor because he keeps preaching Christ. So he's abandoned on the island of Patmos. And from there, God inspires him to write this letter. And he is going to address these seven different churches. And the first one is to the church in Ephesus. You know this church, if you've ever read your New Testament, the book of Ephesians was another letter written to this church. And the thing I want us to see is in verse number 5 today, all I want us to see is just a sampling of what God is going to offer to us as we study this together. In verse number 5, look what the Spirit of God says to the church in Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, the Spirit of God says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, in each of these letters, in most of these letters, there's a word of commendation. And there's a word of confrontation. The Spirit of God is something this positive to say to most of these churches. And he has a really a call to repentance for all of them. And the reason why I wanted to look at verse number 5 today is this. I want to offer two things to you. First of all, I want us to see the warning. The warning. And secondly, I want you to see another example of apocalyptic literature. Let's start there. He writes, if you, if you don't do this thing, 
I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, what does that mean? Remove your lampstand. See, what happens, we read the book of Revelation, we come across phrases like that, and they're just confusing. Okay, they're just, they're just so confused. I mean, look up at the end of chapter 1. Look at the very, the very last verse of chapter 1. Look what John writes. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Oh, that clears it up. Yeah, that clears it up, right? See, this is apocalyptic literature. And what, the, what God is doing is he's, he's using these metaphors that represent literal truths. Literal truths. What is a lampstand? Well, this is a piece of furniture, right? It's a piece of furniture. And as you might imagine, it's a stand, okay? And on top of this stand would be a a place to put several candles. And when you light these candles and bring them into a dark place, it lights up the room. The stand allows the lights to be lifted high. The candles are providing the light. You bring it into a dark room, you set it down, and you can see. So what the Lord is saying in Revelation 1, verse number 20 is, I've got these lampstands, seven of them. Now, that doesn't mean if you went to Ephesus, they would walk into this, like, you know, smoke-filled room, and, and they would all be bowing down and say, oh, here is our, here's our lampstand. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. There's not a literal lampstand in Ephesus. But it represents a literal truth. Do you see it? God calls the church. There's something unique about this group of people. You're not here because you like each other. You're not here because you like these seats or you like this room or you like this music or you like this preaching or you like this class. God calls together bodies of believers on purpose. And it's as if he says, you're my lampstand. You're my lampstand. He could have said lighthouse, but they didn't know what that was. He could have said a bright, shining spotlight. But they didn't know what that was. He could have said, you are the mouthpiece that will be proclaimed with all power so everyone will hear. But they didn't know what that was. So he said, you're my lampstand. It's pretty simple, isn't it? We're meant to be a lampstand. A bright light in a dark world. This is apocalyptical literature. You use a metaphor that's kind of strange and a little bit out of this world at times, but it's meant to shock the hearer, to wake them up to a deeper, I don't like that word, to a spiritual truth. But look at the warning. Verse number five. 
Remember, therefore, we fall and repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lamp stand. Now that's a warning. That's a warning. God calls believers. He calls them to gather together and for us to partner together to share the gospel, to reach the community where we're at. He wants us to do this. He wants us to live Him in our lives. He wants us to follow Him faithfully. He wants us to be His witness. But if we don't, He'll find another. He'll remove the lampstand. Now, he doesn't send that person or that church to hell. That's not what that means. It means he finds another. And when he finds another, that believer loses a great joy. Listen, I don't know where you live, where you operate, where you function. Some of you I do, but not all of you I do. I don't know the dark world that you live in. But God has you there like a lampstand. And he's inviting you to the adventure and the joy of being his witness. Respond. Respond. Because if you don't, his plan is going to move forward. He'll find another. Okay, I went way over on that one. Um. And I skipped one, okay? And I know that. I know that. But, but that's okay. That's okay. So let's, let's go back to it now because I have a few minutes. The understanding of the revelation. I read this quote, and I thought this was really interesting. It said this. If today's newspapers are a necessary key to interpreting the book of Revelation, then no generation until our own could have ever have had any hope of understanding and obeying the book or ever living out what it is calling believers to. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to... You've probably seen people in the past, and what they'll do is they, they read the book of Revelation in one hand, and they have a newspaper in the other, right? And they're like, see, here, Russia did this, and that means that this happened in, in Revelation chapter 13. And the Iraq war, Saddam Hussein is definitely the Antichrist. Because you can see it here in Revelation chapter 16. And we go back and forth and, and we, try to, we try to use the book of Revelation and a newspaper and pretend as if we can decide what God is doing. Listen, that is, that is an incorrect and unhealthy approach to the reading of the book of Revelation. So how do we understand it? Well, that's what we're going to work together in the next three months. But I want to share with you four different ways, four different ways that people try to understand the book of Revelation. And I think, yeah, good. Four different ways. I'm going to, I'm going to share a term with you at times. It's not important that you know this term. But I do want to mention in case you ever come across it. Okay? So the first kind of approach that people have in reading the book of Revelation, I'm just going to call it all in the past. 
This is called preterism. If you ever come across this term, or the preterist approach to interpreting the book of Revelation. And here's, here's how these people read the book of Revelation. What they do is they believe the book of Revelation has all already happened. It all happened. It all happened shortly after the birth of the church. And so every time there is any kind of destruction or difficulty or, or the beast is mentioned or the prophet is mentioned or Armageddon is mentioned, any of that stuff is mentioned, the preterist says that's the Roman kingdom. That's the emperor and his ways. So they, they read everything. The whole book of Revelation is all in the past. The preterist method. Chuck, Chuck Swindoll says this. He said, the preterist method is somewhere between absurd and hilarious. I thought that was kind of funny. As you read the book of Revelation, I mean, just go to the very end, a new heaven, a new earth. You tell me that's already happened? Do you, are you living in a new heaven and a new earth now? I see some of you are sick. Some of you are sad. Some of you are hurting. We've got a problem. Okay, another view, another way that people interpret the book of Revelation, we have the first is all in the past. The second one is a historical panorama of all of history. And what this is, is, is people will take the book of Revelation, they try to attach chapters to different events in the history of the church, in the history of the church. So we'll say, you know, Revelation chapter 6, that's the Reformation, and Revelation chapter 9, that's this, or that's the other. The problem with that is, we're still going. We're, we're, we're still having events in our lives. The Lord hasn't wrapped things up. So it leads to the third approach. The third approach is that the book of Revelation is nothing but great moral messages. That, that really what it is is there's, there's no actual events that are happening here. It's just a set of parables or, or a set of fairy tales that we're to read and to, to get the, the greater picture of. And then we have the fourth approach. And I want you to know this is the approach that I take. And it is the futuristic approach. And it's this. Some of what we read in the book of Revelation has already occurred. Chapters 1 through 3 have already occurred. But when we get to chapter 4 and go through chapter 19, these are things that are yet to come. And this is where God is going to wrap up His plan here on earth. And this is hope for us. There's no way I want to believe that what I see on this earth is God's final plan for all of creation. The book of Revelation chapter 20 says that there will be a new heaven, a new earth. 21 says that there will be no crying and no sorrow. 22 says that I will be with God forever. I'm not experiencing that yet. But I know it is God's grand plan. The futuristic approach. That doesn't mean that we find events in sort of the newspaper and, and connect them to events in the book of Revelation. Honestly, this is more about... Now, this is a phrase I'm going to use over the next few months together. The book of Revelation is more about confirmation than prediction. What does that mean? 
when events happen on the earth, the believers that are experiencing it will have the book of Revelation and say, that's what this is. This confirms it. It's not about us predicting what's going to happen at such and such a date. All right, and my last part for today, and I'm completely out of time, is the living out of the book of Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. To me, Revelation chapter 20 is one of the most challenging passages in all of the Bible. There are things here that I don't understand. There are things here that that we will not understand until we see them. But the literal truth that they represent are what cause me to come up here every single week. The literal truth that stand behind the picture that's being drawn for us are what motivate me to keep going and are what could motivate you to continue living for Christ. Verse number 11 of chapter 20. And I want to read it. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And let me just stop for just a minute, just show you the, the metaphorical image here. God is a spirit. How can he sit on a throne? You see, this is an image that's being drawn for us. This is an image that's being laid out in front of us. What are we supposed to see? There's a king. There's a ruler. There's a sovereign. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Let me stop. Do I believe that there in front of the throne of God is a literal giant book that opened up and we can find? I don't know. I don't know. Is there a literal book there? Does this mean that there's an actual book with pages? I don't know. But it represents a literal truth. And whether or not there's a book there or a throne there is not what we're to take away from this. Read on. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And that doesn't bother me a bit. I'm glad to hear that. And this is the second death. The lake of fire. But verse 15 should call us to action. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
it's an overwhelming thing to consider. It's what drove Jonah to Nineveh, remember? Are there flames? Is there a lake? Is it literal fire? I have opinions. I believe it is. But that's not what's important. It's the eternal, the eternal perishing of the people that you and I know who reject Jesus, who don't know him. And the Spirit of God wanted this to wake us up. It's why he's given us a lampstand to take a light into a world that without that light is destined for a perishing eternity. Will you pray with me? God, you overwhelm us at times with your word. Your spirit does that, Lord. And we sense it right now. Father, this, uh, this, this image is overwhelming for creatures to consider. And Lord, I'm over, overwhelmed also with your great patience that you are patient with us. Lord, you wait for us to be that lampstand. Don't take it away, Lord. Whatever that environment is that you have us, Lord, may we be a bright light there that you've called us to be. We know what you call us to. There's no question of what you invite us to. We know without a doubt what we are to share, who we are to share with, how we are to share it, what we are to do. Lord, we know without any doubt what your call is. God, motivate our hearts today. Move us forward with a powerful desire that you place in our hearts for the importance and the value of your people. Those that you have around us, that you're waiting, you're waiting for them to respond to the gospel. And Father, if there's anyone here today who needs to turn to you, Lord, may they do that now. That they would look to the cross of Jesus resting in the resurrection of what you have done, Lord, conquering death, and they'd repent from their sin and turn to you. Lord, thank you for a heart that you give us, Lord, that's no longer of stone, but that's being conformed to your image and can be moved by these images. Go with us now, Lord, as we study this book together. It's confusing at times. We're going to need your spirit help, Lord, to allow us to understand this, to not get confused, to not get distracted. But, Lord, that we as a body would see what you call us to and that we would respond. Oh, God, hear our prayer. Hear us now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.